we've been dedicated for a long time to increasing the screening rates in the region because we think this is a major way to reduce lung cancer mortality in the region. And screening rates in Ohio are very low. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Dr. David Carbone. David is a lung cancer expert and director of the James Thoracic Oncology Center. Lung cancer is one of the most common forms of cancer in the United States, with about 240,000 new cases diagnosed every year. And with about 130,000 deaths every year, it's the leading cause of cancer-related deaths. David will fill us in on the new James Mobile Lung Cancer Screening Unit that will travel around the state to underserved areas such as Appalachia with the goal of detecting lung cancer in the early stages when there are more treatment options and better long-term outcomes. Welcome, David. It's great to be here, Steve, and thank you for uh, focusing on this topic. It's really uh, an important one, I think. Yeah, and this new mobile unit sounds like a, a big step forward, so congratulations on getting that up and running. And I thought we would, should start off that that figure of 130,000 deaths every year is just really striking and, and tragic. And why is cancer so deadly? Why is screening so important? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, that could be a long answer. But uh, basically, um, Lung cancer is the number one cause of cancer death by far for both men and women, even though that's not widely recognized. And in fact, that's true in the US and it's true worldwide that it's the number one cause of cancer death. One of the major reasons is that it's usually over half the cases are, are detected when it's uh, in an advanced stage. When, when, you, when a lung cancer starts, it can reach a reasonable size in your lung with absolutely no symptoms. You can have a softball-sized tumor in your lung and not, not feel anything, feel completely fine, not have a cough, not have any symptoms. And if you had a softball-sized skin cancer, you would notice it. If you had a softball-sized breast cancer, you would notice it. Uh, if it was a brain tumor that big, you'd be dead. So... Um, one of the major reasons is that lung cancer is often detected uh, by symptoms that arise from metastases. So where the cancer is spread to a bone or the brain or somewhere else and causes symptoms, at which point it's metastatic and much uh, more difficult to treat. So with CT screening, there are now multiple large studies that have shown that you can shift that balance, that with CT screening, instead of the majority of patients being detected in the stage three and four, with CT screening, the majority of patients are detected in stage 1A, when it's far more curable with a simple uh, surgical excision uh, than uh, it would be if detected late. So uh, I think this is exactly the reason why uh, lung cancer screening is, is so important. The most recent study has shown that there's a decrease in deaths in men from lung cancer screening of about 25%, which is huge and actually bigger than screening for most other cancers. 
And uh, in women, actually, there were only a small number of women in that study, but the decrease in deaths in women was closer to 45%. So it was huge decreases in deaths. And another advantage um, is that lung cancer screening is simple to do. It takes 10 to 15 seconds, literally. You lay on a table and they scan you. No IVs, no extensive bowel preps, no squashing of body parts. Uh, and it's, it's over in 10 or 15 seconds. Now, I'm guessing that there's a reason why, as part of your yearly physical or something like that, that not everyone gets one in it, and like mammograms or PSA tests. So I'm guessing it has something to do with financial or, or health insurance reasons. Well, uh, yes and no. Um, we always, there's always a risk-benefit um, calculation that has to go on with, with any screening program. Now, since lung cancer screening started much later than prostate and breast screening, it's really been under a more powerful microscope in, in those terms than other screening approaches. But the, it is true that the majority of lung cancer arises in people with a smoking history, about 85%. And while if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer, and I have many patients who've never smoked, it is true that your risk is higher if you're a smoker. So right now, uh, most of the screening programs and most of the data on lung cancer screening is in people with this elevated risk who have a history of smoking uh, of at least 20 pack years or over the age of 50, they uh, quit less than 15 years ago. Now that identifies the highest risk population, but it misses still a large section of people who's, who may still get lung cancer. And we are studying how to broaden the, those criteria um, through various techniques. And, and there have been studies looking at never smokers uh, for CT screening. But right now, uh, we're doing very badly, even in the high-risk population identified as smokers. And, and we need to work on that. Now, you mentioned that screening for people 50 and older who are 20, who have smoked cigarettes a pack a day for 20 years and have quit less than 15 years ago. There's already screening programs for some of these people going on at the James, right? That the this mobile unit sort of is an adjunct to. Oh, of course. Uh, we started lung cancer screening, uh, Pat Nanasinkum and I started lung cancer screening back in 2012 when I got here. I've always been convinced that it was an essential part of a, a program dedicated to uh, lung cancer and reducing the morbidity and mortality of lung cancer. You know, early detection is a, is a huge part of that. And so we started the program in 2012. And I think in our first year, it um, screened 70 patients, something like that. <clears throat> the last data I've seen is, uh, is that we screened uh, 2,000 patients in the last year, calendar year. So we've made a, a big stride on uh, improving our accessibility for lung cancer screens. Now, now, with the people you screen, what percentage roughly have lung cancer? Well, it's, it's actually fairly high. In this, in this uh, high-risk population, about 1% of the patients who are asymptomatic, you know, they, they come in with no symptoms at all. They just have the quali qualifications that you mentioned. 
um, will have a lung cancer detected. And this is huge. This is a very high percentage. It's much higher than uh, you see for breast cancer screening, for example. <clears throat> and another program, which we may not have time to talk about, uh, looks at uh, incidental nodule uh, evaluation. So we're doing more and more CT scans um, as part of general medical practice than ever before. If a patient comes in after a car accident uh, in the emergency room, it's highly likely that they'll get a body CT. And it, it turns out that a large fraction of those patients are, would not be eligible for lung cancer screening and we, we did a study with Jasleen Panu in our own system that uh, many of these nodules are not properly evaluated. And uh, in, in the course of one year, we, we found dozens of cases of lung cancer that were missed by, by these, uh, these CTs that were done for other reasons. And so we've implemented what we call a incidental nodule program as well where we review all this, the lung cancer, the CT scans uh, involving the lungs for such nodules and, and make sure they're evaluated properly. And so this program is in effect, a lung cancer screening program for patients who may be ineligible for lung cancer screening, if you follow my drift. Yeah, it's it, that word incidental is the key word that you're being treated for something else. So they're not looking for lung cancer so they can miss these nodules. Absolutely. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, David will fill us in on the James Mobile Lung Cancer Screening Unit. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Dr. David Carbone, uh, the director of the James Thoracic Oncology Center. And David, you gave us a great sort of background on why there's a need for a, a mobile lung cancer screening unit. So now fill us in on how it came about. Well, Steve, we, as I said, we're, we've been dedicated for a long time to increasing uh, screening uh, rates in the region, uh, because we think this is a major way to reduce uh, lung cancer mortality in the region. And screening rates in Ohio are very low. Um, only about 5% of screen eligible patients actually get a lung cancer screen, which is extremely uh, unacceptably low. And part of that problem is access. Um, and we've been fortunate to have here at Ohio State, Electra Pasquette and her Center for Cancer Health Equity. And I was talking to Electra about how we could reach uh, underserved areas in, um, in Ohio 
you know, through her program, which has historically focused on women's cancers, breast and cervical. Um, so I tried to figure out how we could get a, um, a mobile van for doing lung cancer screening, um, similar to the mobile mammography unit. Uh, it turns out, at least I was told, that the mobile mammography unit was funded initially uh, philanthropically to get it off the ground. And, and we didn't have such support for lung cancer. So I, I sought out support and eventually got um, some interest from the company Genentech, which uh, is not a... a scanning equipment manufacturer or anything. They, they are a company that make a variety of uh, drugs for cancer, including lung cancer drugs. But of course, and of course the object of CT screening is to avoid treating people with, with drugs and to um, be, uh, and to find these cancers when they can be treated surgically. But they had a, a program of uh, grants uh, funding um, that wasn't focused on development of their drugs and simply uh, focused on improving cancer outcomes and, and cancer uh, intervention access. And so through uh, interactions with them, they agreed to consider funding it. And we just recently, a few weeks ago, signed the final contract for an almost uh, $3 million grant with this company to operate uh, a mobile uh, screening unit. And in, 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 around Ohio, in, including Appalachia and the network that Electra has established, but also other areas, which uh, might even be just outside of Columbus where people can't get to a, a screening facility or aren't aware of the need for, for screening. And in addition, this grant funds um, certain aspects of research in this population uh, with blood collections so we can look at biomarkers of risk and those kinds of things. So this is a tremendous opportunity to increase our impact statewide. Now you mentioned before, smoking is the leading cause, 85%, I believe. And if I'm not mistaken, Ohio has a higher than the national average rate of smokers, right? Absolutely, it does. And um, also the second most common cause of lung cancer actually is radon. And Ohio is in the zone one, the highest zone for radon exposure in the country as well. But unfortunately, radon exposure is not currently a criterion for screen eligibility, but we're working on that. Oh, good. Well, that leads me, I was just about to ask who would be eligible for this mobile unit screening process? Yeah, the eligibility would be the same as for the lung cancer screening done in the, um, in the, in the fixed units. It would be greater than the age of 50, um, uh, smoking uh, greater than 20 pack years. This could be two packs a day for 10 years or, or one pack a day for 20 years or, or half a pack a day for 40 years. And, um, and having quit less than 15 years ago. And I don't agree with some of those criteria, but those are the current facts. And if we can reach 85% of that population, it would be a major advance. Is there an age limit on the high end if you're 
90 or 95 do you is you and you haven't uh, been diagnosed with lung cancer do you would you still be eligible for this um there there typically is uh, considered to be an 80 year uh, upper limit but i actually disagree with that personally and and it does make sense that if you have comorbid conditions such that even if you were diagnosed with lung cancer treating it you you wouldn't treat it so if you had a three-month life expectancy from some other disease doesn't make sense to do a lung cancer screening test um, but i've seen many very healthy 80 year olds and um, so i don't agree with it but that's also the a current limitation of screening but these restrictions these are, are these criteria these are not yours these are national standards they, they are based on identifying the highest risk population with the most potential for benefit and as defined by the, the large clinical trials that tested CT screening. That doesn't mean that they're ideal or that the uh, criteria outside that, that those windows uh, wouldn't be better, but that's what the trials use. So that's what the current approvals are based on. So based on that, if you had someone, if you're, uh, or if someone's 83 or 84 and, and has been a long time smoker, you're saying you should get screened <laughs> or are <laughs> well, you, I, I don't want to put I, words I'm not going to pay for it out of my yeah, pocket, right. but I, I do think if someone is very healthy, 81 year old, that, you know, it, it does make some sense to screen and you know, screening by definition is in asymptomatic individuals. Uh, that's a screening test. If you have a symptom, then it's a diagnostic test. And those are really two completely different things. And so many 80-year-olds will have a cough or COPD and, and other ways of justifying a, a scan. Uh, but for a true screening evaluation, you, it's for asymptomatic individuals. And something you said that I think is important is that even if you stop, if you're 75 and you've stopped smoking 10 or 12 years ago, you're still in that high risk group. The risk of lung cancer uh, after cessation of smoking doesn't go away immediately. In fact, it, it persists for the rest of your life, but it, and it does go down with time. So it's not like you're totally back to normal after 15 years. It's just less than it was when you were actively smoking. Now, I, I had one guy who uh, was issued cigarettes in World War II and uh, smoked heavily for five years around the time of World War II. And I, I diagnosed him with lung cancer 50 years later. So, and, and if you do molecular tests on the DNA in your lungs, you can find damage that's permanent in the DNA of your lungs uh, after smoking as few as 100 cigarettes in your life. Wow. That, so the, the greatest lesson is don't start. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I got caught smoking when I was in fifth grade. Uh, and uh, I think I have a lifetime exposure of three cigarettes. So I don't think that counts. Okay. <laughs> Now you say van, but that's sort of a, a understatement. This isn't a, like a van. This it's is like a, a truck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> this is big, right? And yeah, it's like, walk us through what a patient will, uh, not a patient, but a person will experience when they come in for a screening. 
Well, as I, I mentioned a little earlier, it's a it, extremely a simple process. Um, the, the scan itself is a low-dose helical scan that gives you um, the complete scan in just a matter of seconds, 10 to 15 seconds. So you lay on a table and the machine will scan you and, and it's, it's over in just a few seconds doesn't require insertion of an IV or contrast or any kind of prep. You don't have to take a bowel prep like you do for colon cancer. You don't have to have uh, get un even undressed uh, and have uh, uh, your body parts smashed like in mammography. Um, so it's really quite simple. In our screening uh, mobile van and in, in our screening clinics, we are at asking patients if they're willing to participate in research and that would involve a blood draw. But uh, beyond that, that's an optional uh, of the, the patient can opt in or out of that. The actual scan is, is super simple. And so once someone goes through it, and I think as you, you said before, it could be 1% will be diagnosed with lung cancer. What's the next step for that person? Well, that's an extremely important question because these are underserved areas and finding out about a lung cancer isn't the end of the story. You have to deal with it. And so that people have to have access to biopsies and to thoracic surgery. And so the Center for Cancer Health Equity has a well-oiled machine for dealing with that. They identify cases that need follow-up and they try to match them with uh, providers in their area, not, not necessarily Ohio State, for uh, adequate follow-up of these nodules. Wow, okay, and, and just give me a sense of once it's up and running full scale, how many people do you think will be screened per month, per year, or however you measure that? Well, it's hard to say, you know, it's difficult to predict things, especially about the future. But the, um, we're hoping to do, in, in the course of the, the three-year project that we've got funded, uh, thousands of, of screens. And I think this, I'm hoping that we, we can increase the total number of screens done in our healthcare system by at least 50%. Wow. And, and part of this, in addition to the actual screens and finding patients with lung cancer, just raising the awareness of, of the importance of lung cancer screening, I, I'm guessing is sort of like a, a secondary goal. Of course, if, if we bring our machine to a Walmart and have on the side, you know, you know, if you're a smoker, ask us about lung cancer screening, you know, we may get people who never thought about lung cancer screening or, or had thought about it, but didn't know anything. And so Absolutely. Education and awareness are a big part of this uh, outreach effort. Okay. Well, Dave, thank you very much for this great overview and, and good luck in the months to come with, with getting this up and rolling and, and screening people. Well, thank you for, for publicizing this. I think it is an extremely important initiative uh, to uh, help improve lung cancer outcomes in Ohio. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.